welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. Last week we began a new sermon series entitled Journey to Freedom, and it is highly likely that whatever area in your life that you are contending for freedom or that you've begun to experience that because of the move of Jesus in your life, you have probably already been met with opposition. You've probably already had kind of some bumps in the roads in regards to that. And that's because as we move into the freedom that Jesus has for us, very often there are obstacles in the way. Some of those things are spiritual obstacles where the enemy would look to thwart those things of God. Some of those things are just practical hurdles. Uh, some of the obstacles can be uh, really our friends who know our, own, our old way of life or people who don't seem to let us know uh, that we're different. They want to kind of uh, address us as if we're still the same. Some of our challenges are internal, right? Things that, that we just wrestle in our own thoughts and our own minds. But we're going to be looking at how to maybe take some practical steps forward past those this morning. When Jesus looks at you, he sees it all. This is what we started with last night. He, he sees it all. He sees every place of need in your life. He knows whether that's something that's spiritual or mental or emotional. He knows whether that's something that's practical and material. He sees those things. He sees the places in your life where you are bound or diminished or where you're stuck and you can't seem to move forward into becoming the man of God or the woman of God that you were created to be. He sees all of those things, all of those needs, and he wants to provide rescue. He wants to bring freedom to you and to I, to live into the abundant life that he talks about in John chapter 10, verse 10, which is one of his I have come statements. I've come for this particular thing. And I want to start with a question this morning when it comes to actually moving into fully experiencing the freedom that Jesus has for you in an area of life or in an overarching kind of narrative of the way that you live. And here's the question that I want you to entertain. What keeps you from that? You don't need to answer out loud or to somebody next to you. You don't really even need to arrive at an answer in this moment. But I would like you to consider what, what keeps you from that. From those moments where you know that Jesus is inviting you into freedom and you are a hesitant and maybe you don't take that step of faith. Or those places where you know that Jesus has spoken freedom in your life and you're kind of struggling to move forward into those places. What, what are the things that keep you from not just ex, uh, uh, kind of receiving freedom or having that pronouncement of freedom in your life, but from walking fully into that being expressed in the way that you live out your day-to-day and your relationships and your interaction with the Lord and the way that you leave your fingerprint on the world. When I was in college, uh, my parents had told me they were never going to get another dog, uh, and I went away to college, and they got another dog. They got a puppy. Um, and... Uh, Oftentimes, it would be maybe the dad that comes home and says, hey, surprise, sweetie, I got you a puppy. That is not how it worked in my house. My mom decided that she wanted a dog after swearing we would never have another one. And she went all the way to the extreme and got a Rottweiler puppy. So she went from, we're not going to have any dog, to let's have a war dog and just bring it into the house. And so we had this little Rottweiler puppy. Her name was Roxy. That was her, uh, that was her name. So Roxy the Rottweiler came home to live with us, and immediately um, some things had to start changing in the house, and you've got a, uh, you've got a potty train, you've got a kennel, 
or crate train, you got to start going through the process. If you've had a puppy, then you know uh, those are long nights particularly. And so my dad uh, brought this puppy home with my mom, and he had a little cardboard box, and he had it next to his bed. And there was a little space between the bed and the wall. It was big enough for the box. He placed Roxy in that the very first night, put a towel over the top to kind of darken it and just to kind of make it a closed and secure place. And like most puppies, she would whine, she would fidget, she wanted out. And you're trying to train to sleep. You're trying to train to your place. You're trying to kind of kennel train and potty train and all of those things. And so on that first night, my dad put the puppy in that box, put the towel over the top, and whenever she would make a noise or a whine, he would hit the side of the box, and it would startle her, and she would, and she would stop. And then she would start to whine, and he would hit the box, and after two or three kind of cycles of that, she would kind of settle in and just kind of be like, okay, I've, I've got this figured out. And then day after day, night after night, there was this process of placing her into that place and startling her and kind of shaping uh, the behavior and the expectation. And she began to get bigger and bigger. But every night it was Roxy kennel up and she was placed in that place and they went through that process. She rapidly outgrew that box, of course, and so she's becoming a bigger and bigger dog. And so now she's got uh, a little dog bed that she would get to lay on, and there would be a baby gate. And the baby gate would be strong enough, pressed between the bed and the wall, to keep her from being able to kind of get out. Even as she could kind of see and explore, she would whine a little bit at night. My dad would hit the bed stand, and it was the same type of conditioning, and it would teach her to be quiet. It was time for bed, kennel up. And so night after night, as she grew, it was, Roxy, it's bedtime, kennel up. And it would go through the same type of a process. And what was really interesting to me is she got bigger and bigger and bigger. And the gate had to be moved further and further out. And there would be uh, um, just this, this, this growth that would be taking place. But each night the same condition was what she was walked through. And the interesting thing to me is that as a full-grown dog, you could tell her to go and kennel up. And she would go to that place and she would not leave it until she was given permission to go. Far after she was strong enough to push the baby gate down on her own, far after she was certainly strong enough to exert her will on the rest of the household, she could have actually decided, no, I am a war dog, and I will go anywhere I want, and I will do anything that I want. She certainly would have had that power and that strength as she grew into the size of dog that she was. But kennel up was all you had to say, and she would go to that place, and she would remain there until she somehow was given another command to leave. Far after she had the strength to walk into a freedom that she didn't know, far after she could have really exercised some of her own decision-making. And I share that with you because a lot of times we struggle to realize and to recognize the freedom that we have in Jesus. We've been given commands by the world, and we have suffered under the circumstances of our life, and we have been conditioned to go to a place and to stay in that place. We have been conditioned to understand where our station is and to remain in that station. And oftentimes, even when Jesus has spoken freedom, even when the gates have been opened and the chains have been come off, even when we have been freed in salvation from sin and death, we still continue to live a life where we are told to kennel up and we just return to what was. And I would suggest to you that Jesus wants to speak a different command over your life. A command where you get to walk into the freedom that he has designed for you, a freedom that he died on the cross for you to experience. A freedom of salvation and a freedom of abundant life, a freedom of planned, purposed living where you get to move into the fullness of his 
faithful promises to you and to be a part of his work in the world around you. The gospel narratives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each one of those narrate the life and the ministry of Jesus to some degree, all looking through a different lens and from a different vantage. But all of them are full of stories where Jesus demonstrates his presence and his power and his desire to bring freedom from brokenness, from bondage, from oppression, uh, to, to bring about some type of change in people's lives, to bring transformation. All of the stories, right, are uh, miraculous demonstrations of the power of God. In fact, those are oftentimes the stories that we really like to hear, that we wonder and awe at, and that we would hope for our lives or for maybe somebody else's life. Uh, there are stories of dramatic healings, and certainly we would want to see and contend for those taking place. There's invitation for those who are dismissed and overlooked and marginalized to be brought back and restored and redeemed, and they get to be a part, too, that there's not a second-class citizenship in the kingdom of God, but that we're all called to be sons and daughters, that we all get to come and to be a part of what God has doing, redeemed and restored. And in many of these narratives, there's patterns that you can trace of ways forward to experience that type of freedom in your life. So whether you're looking at somebody who's being released from demonic oppression, or you're seeing somebody who is experiencing a dramatic healing, or somebody who has been kind of cast aside or cast adrift, who is being invited to be a part of what Jesus is doing and to move forward into the things of the kingdom of God. In all of those things, a lot of times there are patterns or principles that you can see and identify that you can begin to apply to your life because Jesus would intend to move in your life in that way as well. And so for this morning, we're going to look at a particular narrative in Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at just one story this morning. And we are going to kind of unpack some principles or some steps that you and I, as we're considering what, how, how do I move forward in the freedom that Jesus has for me? And why don't I experience that, right? Go back to that very first question. What keeps me from that? We're going to look at some things that might be helpful for us this morning. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and get that out. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, I would encourage you to open up your Bible app. Lord, give us not just soft hearts for your word, but give us bold hearts. Lord, give us courage this morning to take you at your word and to respond to it. Lord, increase our faith and increase our hope and our expectation that freedom is ours in Jesus. Lord, that you came to do that and that those that you set free get to enjoy the fullness of that freedom, that he who the Son has set free is free indeed. Lord, may that be our heart's cry this morning. May that be our experience this week, that we would have transformation and breakthrough in these areas, that we desperately need your rescue. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 10. That's what we're going to be looking uh, at today. We're going to look at just one story, one place where Jesus brought healing and transformation in the life of a man named Bartimaeus. Uh, we're going to be beginning in Mark chapter 10, verse 46, and all of these verses for this part are going to be up on the screen as well. If you've got a Bible that has kind of little identification markers for different sections or different parts of, of, of books, you might have one like mine that says, Blind Bartimaeus Receives His Sight. So it gives you a little context about what's going to happen, and we're going to refer back to that line item in just a moment. But the narrative begins like this. It says, Then they, and this is speaking of Jesus, his disciples, and a whole crowd that is gathered around him, came to Jericho. 
And he's actually on his way to Jerusalem. If you continue reading in all four of the Gospels, he's moving towards what's referred to as the triumphal entry. This is the entry into Jerusalem, the week of his death and resurrection. So he's at the tail end of his ministry, and he's moving on there. There's a lot of great fanfare around him. People are actually assuming that he's coming to Jerusalem to bring liberty, literally, by overthrowing the government, but he's coming to bring a different type of liberty and freedom by his death and resurrection. But there's great fanfare around this, and they're moving towards Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples, together with this large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, and they told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And so they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Pretty short narrative, pretty simple. Kind of walks you through a very easy to understand progression. Jesus is traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem. There is a man in need who cries out. Jesus responds and changes him, and the man continues with Jesus. And in this narrative, there are really a, a pattern that you can follow. There's a few principles that unfold here that are really helpful for us as we go back to answer that question, why don't I walk into the freedom that Jesus has for me? Why, why, why am I not experiencing that? Why does it seem to be for someday but not today? Why is it a hope always on the horizon but never in the present? And there's a few things that are helpful for us. And the first thing is this, if you're a note taker, this would be point number one, if you like kind of that type of precision and linear thought. But we need to recognize that in the areas of life that we need to experience freedom, whether that's salvation, right? Whether that's just a, a new birth of life and a freedom from sin and death. We're gonna talk about that in this sermon series. Or whether this is a place of particular issue of life where we feel bound or broken or stuck, we just can't find our way forward in that. That the first thing that needs to happen for us is we need to recognize that Jesus comes to us and is present with us. That Jesus comes to us and is present with us. And as the narrative begins, Bartimaeus is in the same place that he always is, doing the same thing that he has always done. But today is different because Jesus is present. Today is different because he hears, he recognizes, he understands that Jesus is present. And for you and I, in the places of our greatest need, it is a requirement of us to recognize that Jesus is present, that he's with us in that place, that he is present and has the ability and the intention to do something about our situation that he's able to bring freedom into that place. And for many of us, 
oftentimes our first act of faith is just to have eyes to recognize that Jesus is in our situation with us. For many of us, when we're dealing with uh, places of brokenness or bondage or just kind of less than type of living, we suffer under this type of delusional thought that says Jesus is somewhere else doing other things and I'm in this place alone. In fact, we often feel that way. We feel like we're really far from God for whatever reason. Sometimes situations or circumstances of our own making, sometimes we feel that way because of the way that life has just mistreated us. For a variety of reasons, we can buy into this idea that God is off doing great things and we're stuck in our problem or situation. That we're there alone, that we've been dismissed, abandoned, overlooked. We really struggle over those things. And oftentimes, in those places, the reality is that people have done that to us, that life has seemingly done that to us. So it's easy for us to translate that onto our perspective of who God is and what Jesus might do, maybe reluctantly, in our lives. It takes a faith for us to have eyes to see that Jesus is present. In James chapter 4, verse 8, it says this, it says, come near to God and he will come near to you. And sometimes we almost read that as a transactional type of a promise. And there, there is a, a promissory type of a thing to that. But we'll read it in this way, that somehow I've got to struggle and find my way, right? I'm searching for him. If I could just make my way to him, then he would be near to me. And there's certainly a, a, a place for us to respond. There's a place for you and I to pursue a right relationship with the Lord. But we don't start in darkness and try to find our way to him. Scripture gives us a picture of Jesus being the light and the darkness. He is always coming and making his way towards you. And the promise in this is not a transaction, but one of recognition that when I begin to try to draw near to the Lord, I recognize he is already near. I recognize that he is already present and with me, Hebrews chapter 13 repeats a promise from the Old Testament in a way that's applied to future believers. And it says this, that God has said, never will I leave you nor forsake you. Listen to me, whatever situation in your life right now that lacks freedom, you are not in that place alone. You are not in that place overlooked. You are not dismissed or casually set aside. You are not an afterthought that once you kind of figure your stuff out that God's going to have time for you. He is present, he is attentive, and he has the intention already to bring freedom to that place. Will you draw near to him? Will you recognize that he's close? Bartimaeus was in likely the same spot he was every day. As somebody who was blind, he was going to be, uh, his whole uh, livelihood, his whole existence was going to be something that was uh, uh, hinging on the benevolence of others. And this city of Jericho, it was an affluent city at the time, it was a, a place of wealth. And the travel between Jericho and Jerusalem, there was going to be a lot of that. It was a really good place to kind of be a beggar. He would have been able to be taken care of pretty well there. And we recognize this even in our own context. You know in certain cities and in certain places that if you go to that intersection, there will always be somebody there with a need. It's like the spot. It's like the hub. Every place I've ever lived, I could tell you where those places were, whether it was in Southern California or Cedar Rapids, Iowa or Oregon or Colorado. I can, I can tell you where those things are. 
And likely Bartimaeus was going to the same place every day. He would spread his cloak on the ground and he would sit there and he would beg. He would wait. But today was different because Jesus was present. And he recognized it as well. And it is likely for you and I that just like every other week, you're in the same place. Right? In fact, many of you, you've got your seat at church. Like when you're here, I've got, I've got to get to my seat. Right? And I know which of you brings snacks because your seat has crumbs on it. I know who's snacking. Like you, we have this place and this routine to it. And maybe you don't have a seat, but maybe you have a side of the room that you've going to seat in. Maybe you've got kind of a, a front or back type of a preference. Like, but can I tell you that weekend and week out, you may have been coming here, having a moment with the Lord and longing for freedom and going out and on Monday not experiencing any freedom. And it may have been like that, but today can be different. That day for Bartimaeus was different. Everything changed for him, and everything can change for you today. This can be a day of salvation, a day of freedom for that place that you are contending for. But it starts with recognizing that Jesus is present and willing to make a difference in that place. And we begin to respond in faith as a result of that. And so Jesus comes to us, but then the second principle that we see is that we respond to his presence. We respond to that truth. And what does Bartimaeus do? It says that he cried out. This is so important. Like, cry out. Call out to Jesus. He's already been pursuing your heart. He's already present and attentive. He's inviting you into freedom. Have your faith respond to that truth and then cry out. Bartimaeus cried out. He was assertive. He was passionate. He would not be overlooked and he would not be silenced. Scripture says that he shouted out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And what did the crowd say? You be quiet. Don't cause a scene. Don't stir this up. In fact, you have your station. What the crowd said is kennel up. Go back to your place. Be quiet. Kennel up. And it says that when he responded to that, it said that he cried out all the more he was full of passion. He would not be deterred or overlooked. He was bold in the way that he called out to Jesus. Listen to me, church. You need to be bold in the way that you pray and contend for freedom in your lives and in the lives of those that you love. There was no passivity in him. He recognized that this was a hope-filled moment that could change the rest of his life. Pray for healing. Pray for deliverance. Contend for the miraculous. Jesus, on a number of occasions, taught this way. He said, ask, seek, knock. Several of his parables on prayer had to do with persistence and continuous. Be bold. Many of us respond to places of need in our lives with passivity in the way that we pray. We hedge our bets. We think this, well, we, you know, we'll wait and see. And that's all of us, myself included. We have a tendency to pray little prayers with little hope. 
And I would say that what I see in Bartimaeus is the opposite, that he was going to contend for the things of God. And we wrestle this out because sometimes we feel like God says no, right? And there's certainly, there's times where in his divine prerogative, he does that. The apostle Paul prayed on three occasions for what was referred to in scripture as a thorn to the flesh, like remove this from me. And each time God said, no, I'm going to give you grace. I'm not asking for grace. I'm asking for this to change. I'm not going to change that, but I'm going to give you grace. I'm not going to change that, but I'm going to give you strength. I'm not going to change your circumstance, but I'm going to change you in it, and I'm going to be with you in it. And Paul said that's sufficient. That's enough. One of the hardest places in Scripture to see God say no, because he had a different plan or a purpose in mind, is the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus, in great anguish, prayed for a different plan than the cross, where it says he was praying so feverishly that he was sweating blood, that he was contending for a different way. Father, if there is another way, let this cup pass from me. And the, the, the heavenly father, God spoke to his own son, no, we're going to the cross. No, this is the plan. No, there is no other way. And there are places in your life where you will contend for things, for God to change the situation, and he's going to say, no, I'm not going to change that situation, but I will be with you through this. I will walk through this valley of shadow of death with you. Do not fear, I am with you. Those are very real parts of our reality. But because sometimes that's the truth, we have a tendency to not ask for anything at all. Bartimaeus was bold. He was passionate. I think it's jacked up that we call him blind Bartimaeus, right? In my Bible, it gives the designated header. That's not in the Greek. That's something that we add to kind of help ourselves walk through the different narrative stories, and we call him blind Bartimaeus, but he's not blind anymore. Like, Jesus healed him. I think it's a mistake for us to look at somebody's condition and to speak that over them, especially when they have been set on a new course, and you and I do that to one another and we allow that to be done to ourselves. There's places where Jesus has spoken freedom into your life and you allow another name to be labeled back on you that suggests that you're not free. That you're the same old individual, that you're struggling with the same old things. And we do a disservice to people when we do that, but we also do a disservice to the work of Jesus in our lives when we allow that to be spoken back over us. There is no need for you to hear the world or the enemy of your soul to tell you to kennel up in the places where Jesus has says, I have set you free. We should walk boldly into that freedom. So Jesus comes to us, we cry out to him, and then in our response to the freedom that he brings in our lives, we follow in community. We follow in community. This is so important. So throwing his cloak aside, he jumped up. This is verse 50, and he made his way to Jesus. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, I want to see. And then Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you. And then look at this, so important. Immediately he received his sight. And that's where we want to stop, right? That's the like, whoa! That's like the wow moment. That's where we're like, oh man, that was a miracle, and, and we want to focus on that. But the last part of the sentence is just as important as the first. 
He received his sight, and then he followed Jesus along the road. Now, this story is recorded in Matthew chapter 20 and in Luke chapter 18 as well. You can go to both of those chapters, and you could find this story recorded there. He's not called blind Bartimaeus in either one of those. He's actually not named at all. And in one, we find that he had a friend with him, that there was actually two that were healed on this occasion. On another, he is just left as an unnamed individual. So all kind of giving different lenses of what's taking place here. And in all three of them, it indicates something of his response, that after he was healed, each one says, and he followed Jesus. Using the same phrase in the Greek, the same kind of idea that he began to to follow Jesus. And what's indicated there particularly is that he joined the group of disciples and crowd and, and began to travel from Jericho to Jerusalem, that he left behind his cloak and what he knew and that he's following Jesus into that, into that kind of that new season or that new thing. But in Mark, there's an added piece, an important phrase in my opinion. It says that he followed Jesus along the road. Now, that's how the NIV translate this particular Greek phrase, but a literal translation of what is said there would be that he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. It's the actual literal translation of the Greek phrasing there, in the way. And it can be something that just kind of indicates in the way that is being gone, and it can be something that is just down the road. It can be something really kind of simple, in that understanding, but there is a metaphoric use for this same phrase as well, as in kind of the pattern or in the way of thought or in the way of life that is used as well. And in fact, that particular phrase is used a number of times in the book of Acts, particularly Acts chapter 9, chapter 19, and chapter 24, to identify those who are followers of Jesus. They weren't called Christians. There wasn't Christianity there. Those who followed Jesus, who were disciples of Christ, were referred to as those who were in the way or of the way. And I think it's particularly important to note that Mark used that phrasing here. And I think that the meaning is dualistic, that In each one of the contexts, we understand that Bartimaeus began to go with Jesus where he was going. But he followed Jesus in the way. That same phrase is a phrase that Jesus uses of himself in John chapter 14 where he says this. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. I am the way. I think there's something important to note that as Barnabas, or excuse me, as Bartimaeus responded to the freedom that was his in Christ, that he followed in the way. And it is likely in the places in your life of deep need right now, the places that you are hoping for freedom or you're struggling to see it exercised consistently, that you're in one of these kind of three stages, that you're in a place where you are longing for a freedom that seems to always be on the horizon because you are struggling with the idea that freedom is even present. 
you're wrestling with Jesus being in your situation or in that place of struggle, and you're really wrestling with that. Some of you may be in this place where you have heard Jesus speak freedom into an area of life, but the voices of the rest of the world, the cacophony around you is saying, kennel up, kennel up, kennel up, and you're struggling with this idea that there's freedom for you because it's so easy to just go back to your place. And then some of you may be in that place where you have exercised freedom, you have experienced freedom, but you're not committed to the way. And regardless of what stage you're at, in each one, the response of faith is to respond to Jesus and the work that he would do in that moment. And with that, church family, if you would stand, worship team, if you would come forward, we're going to allow the Lord to do some work in us this morning. And if you have a place in your life where you need freedom, I would suggest to you that today's the day. If this is a, a moment of salvation, you've never yielded to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, salvation is today. If you've wrestled with addiction and you've, come, you've, you've gone back and back and back, you keep returning to the station, like, salvation is today. The relationships that you've been contending for, the breakthrough that you need, the freedom that your heart has longed for, today's the day. Today is the day of your salvation in that area. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. I want to ask you this question. In your journey into freedom, where would you be today? Are you at the very beginning, maybe struggling to recognize the presence and power of Jesus? Could you respond in faith to the truth that he sees that he knows that he's willing to make a difference? Are you in a place where you're wrestling with contending for your freedom? There's a longing in you. There's a desire to move forward, but you keep hearing kennel up. You keep hearing the voice of the accuser or you keep dealing with the voice in your own head. You keep seeing the circumstances of your life pointing you back to where you were. Maybe even people addressing you with a name that indicates, no, you're just that. Could you hear a different voice this morning? Maybe you've begun to take steps into the freedom that is yours in Jesus, but you lack boldness. You've ceased asking and seeking and knocking. You've just kind of resigned yourself to, we'll see what happens. Would you respond in faith and persist? Would you have courage rise in you today? Maybe you have experienced freedom in Christ, but you've stopped following. Rather than following Jesus in the way, you've turned aside and gone back to your quote-unquote place. Could you respond with a new desire to move forward in Him? Today, Lord, you know the condition of our hearts and you know each one of our needs. Lord, you know the needs for salvation. Lord, you know the needs for redemption and restoration. Lord, you know the needs where chains need to be broken, where addictions need to be severed. Lord, you know the places where relationships need to be restored. You know the places where we are trapped in our circumstances, sometimes prisons of our own making. Lord, you know the voices 
that speak against the freedom that you offer us. Lord, you know our place of need. And for my friends here today, I pray that you would meet them in that place. Lord, that today would be a day that they have heard that Jesus is on the road in front of them, that they would have heard that you are present, that they would cry out to you in their place of need, that they would be persistent and direct and specific. Lord, that they would follow you with your followers in the way, that they would move into living out daily a freedom that is already theirs. Lord, when the world or when the accuser of our soul would tell us to kennel up, may we hear something different. Jesus, may we hear your voice as the good shepherd saying, no, I've called you to freedom. No, don't go back there. I've called you to freedom. No, don't close that door. It's already been pushed open. I've called you to freedom. Lord, may we hear a different command. May we hear yours that draws us to freedom in you, in Jesus' name. As you go out this week and as you take steps into freedom, it's likely that you're going to have challenges. There's, there's likely to be hurdles in front of you. And as you face those, I just want to encourage you with the words from Psalm 46. And I would, I would remind you of this. I would pray this over you. God is our refuge and strength. Let me personalize that. God is your refuge and your strength. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, don't fear. Do not fear. Though the earth would give way and the mountains would fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters would roar and foam and the mountains would quake with their surging, regardless of what goes on in life around you, regardless of how circumstances would be stacked against you, regardless of how dark the valley of the shadow would be that you're walking through presently, do not fear. The Lord is your refuge and your strength. He is ever present and he will lead you to freedom in Jesus. As we go out this week, we've got some action steps for you, practical things for you to do to take some steps forward this week in the areas that you need freedom. Number one, you've got to recognize that Jesus is present and near. You're not alone. You're not far off. Recognize that he is with you. Number two, respond to that truth. Cry out to Jesus. Ask, seek, knock, be bold, be persistent in that. And then number three, commit to follow where he would lead follow him. He is the way.